Hello and welcome to the Renick Centre podcast. Continuing with our telepractice series, we chat to Tim Byatt about supporting school-aged students who are deaf or hard of hearing through telepractice. Hello and welcome to this week's Renick Centre podcast. My name's Trudy Smith and I'm the manager of continuing professional education at the RIDBC Renick Centre. We're going to continue our theme of telepractice at the moment because that's the way that everyone is supporting their clients. And it's great to have Tim Byatt with us again. For those who haven't met you before, Tim, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hi Trudy. Um, I work at RIDBC Remote Services. I've been with RIDBC for around 12 years. I think I'm losing count now. I am a, a teacher of a deaf by training. Um, I got my master's through Rennick and I'm currently completing my PhD part-time. Fantastic. And it's the experience that you've had with telepractice that we're really looking forward to, to learning more from you today, Tim. And today we're going to have a focus on school-aged children. So I guess to help with our initial mindset, what are the fundamental differences between supporting little children, so priests before school and school age? Yeah, I guess I'd start with the things that are the same. So we're still very goal directed and we still have that overarching goal of um, achieving age appropriate language and um, communication, whatever that looks like. Um, probably the biggest difference though, is that you are working more directly with the older student than you would be with a younger child. Sometimes in my experience, it's hard to engage a, a younger child, particularly um, early intervention age, and you're really working through the parent or carer. Whereas with the older children, you're more commonly working directly with them, with the parents being involved in some form as well. Sure. So what are sort of the things that when you talk about those goals, are there things that you're working towards? Yeah, yeah. I'm obviously it's going to depend on the child and um, and their level of language and communication, whether they're spoken language or sign or or bicultural, bilingual, I should say. Um, but certainly, uh, in my experience, I tend to work on quite a lot of social communication goals as well, and that's something that um, predominates. Or, or, or is quite commonly worked on. Um, things like, for example, navigating friendships and understanding emotions. Um, being a good conversationalist is something that um, is a really important skill in this age group. Um, and being able to uh, adopt, adapt to topic changes, topic shifts, um, dealing with conflict, understanding emotions. Um, and also, suddenly at this age, even from um, a, a younger age, say 10 and up, I would say, or even a bit younger than that, we're really looking at um, moving from a, a learning to read to um, uh, reading through, sorry, uh, learning through reading and uh, understanding that's a non-literal language within text and things like uh, inference, sarcasm, using context, um, understanding idioms and really not so much understanding every idiom that's out there which would be impossible but really developing the skills to be able to work out the meaning of text. Sure so when you're working with the younger students obviously you choose more you know functional day-to-day -day activities to build language so when you get to that school age what kind of activities are you planning in terms of how do you maintain their level of engagement? 
Yeah, yeah. Engagement is really key, and you do have to spend some time um, developing that rapport, which can take a little bit longer over video conference and face to face. Um, I guess from my perspective, in my role, I try and make uh, the activities I'm working on less pen, pencil and paper kind of traditional work like that and more language games and incorporate my goals into those games, whether we're, we're working on a particular uh, goal of, um, for example, um, past tense or um, looking at things like um, vocabulary around more sophisticated emotions, um, trying to make that into a game and using um, visual cues is often helpful. For example, with Zoom, I know that you can project your uh, resources onto the screen, which is also really useful in this environment where it can sometimes be challenging to mail out resources um, and things like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. So I, I guess, you know, we always consider teachable moments, but things that when we've got school age, there's set curriculum Yep. targets they're actually having to work on towards. So things like narrative, how do you work on that with a student through remote practice? Yeah, what, what I would typically do with narrative is, um, if I think telling a story is, is a very important skill to be able to engage your audience, whether you're doing that in a formal way or whether you're doing that in the playground with your friends, being able to tell a succinct story in an age appropriate way in a context appropriate way is really important. So what I might do is pick a particular topic. For example, this morning with a student, I was working on cooking pancakes and we're talking about what you, ingredients you use with that, doing some vocabulary work around the different instruments you would use, for example, a spatula or a mixing bowl, whatever else it might've been. Absolutely and then, advanced vocabulary as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of goals within them. Sure. Can you do reading activities with these students over remote practice? I think you certainly could do. In my role, I don't typically focus on reading. Um, we do use short text and then use that for um, other goals. For example, the non-literal language and vocab and, and that sort of thing. But I, I see no reason why you couldn't. It would require obviously more preparation and you having the same text as a child. Would, would in terms of being able to coach a child with reading, I guess, selecting age appropriate text that's, you know, chronologically interesting, but developmentally appropriate as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, I did say earlier that I don't tend to use a lot of um, resources that we send out the child, but I think the exception to that would be in terms of some kind of age appropriate written text that would have um, a lot of those non-literal um, reading goals within that. You touched earlier on some of the social and emotional things that you can work on with students, particularly at school age when they start to really be in a social group and recognising how they're different and how they're similar to their peers. Yeah. Are there things in terms of self-advocacy that you can still work on in remote services with them? Yeah, I think self-advocacy is <clears throat> probably the major goal, the, in, in my opinion, the overreaching goal, overarching goal. We're moving from a model of the parent as a primary advocate, as a, as a baby, to being an adult who is hopefully um, self-advocating and is able to take on that mantle themselves. So you're really looking, in, in many respects, it's no different from any child in the mainstream. You're looking towards or working towards independence 
and helping them in that regard. That looks a bit different from a child for a child who is deaf or hard of hearing. And in particular, we're looking at things like managing their devices, um, managing their listening environment, which is again, I think a harder skill. And that would be the next step after the listening device. For example, where am I sitting? Um, am I able to advocate for my FM <coughs> over Zoom? That might be using their Bluetooth device. Um, and also more subtle things like letting their communication partner know when they haven't understood something. I think many of us working with kids who are deaf or hard of hearing would commonly hear, yes, I understand. But then when we drill down into that, that's not always the case. And it's a really important skill for a child or an adolescent to be able to say, no, I didn't understand in a way that doesn't draw excess attention to them. Sure. And I guess the next step of self-advocacy and the beauty of having you with us today is that you are rapidly becoming one of our experts on personal identity for students who are deaf or hard of hearing. Are there things that you would be wanting to, to work on as well when you work with the students? Yeah, I, I, look, a personal interest of mine is identity and particularly teenage identity. Uh, sorry, I should say teenagers who are deaf or hard of hearing and identity and, and what that looks like. Um, from what I've seen in my early research, and I'm still very early days, is that that might be harder to pin down and that it's very difficult these days, I think, to call someone deaf or hearing or whatever labels we might use quite often is a combination of those things. And we need to help these adolescents actually explore that and to be able to use their own language to describe themselves. Because the reality is that having a hearing loss does make them different in some way. But on the other hand, everyone is different in some way, whether it's hearing or a myriad of other reasons. So we need to be able to help them to embrace their identity as a child with hearing loss or an adolescent with hearing loss, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for those insights as well. So I guess for the teacher or the therapist who is working with a school age for the first time in remote services, they've always taught face to face before. Is the, is the premise the same that you begin with what a student knows and scaffold from there? Yeah, absolutely. Trudy. I don't think the fundamentals of teaching change with special education or um, being a teacher of a deaf, certainly we want to start with what they know and we want to build on that. Um, sometimes it's a case of developing confidence as well. And if we, uh, I, I quite commonly start with slightly below where I know the child is up to, just to develop that confidence. For example, if I'm doing some auditory memory work with numbers, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on, but maybe a few minutes on the beginning of the session, I might start at two numbers forwards, even though I know the child can do three, and then maybe go to four if we're really pushing it, whatever it might be, just for example. Sure. And I guess on that note, when you're thinking about working with these students, talk to us about assessment. Is it, do you maintain a protocol or, or what's your perspective on this? Yeah, um, RODBC has their own assessment protocol, but as the children become adolescents, the um, assessment protocol becomes less frequent in terms of the um, times that we assess them. But I think the reality is, is that we need to use our own discretion in that assessment. And a lot of that assessment becomes, um, it can either be a formal language sample, which is still incredibly useful, time consuming, but incredibly useful but it can also just be um, 
noting down a couple of sentences that the child has said and coming back. And um, a lot of my goals will come from those really short, useful language samples. Sure, and I, I love a language sample. I think we can learn so much from them. So it's great to hear that you're still using them in remote services as sure. well. Tim, this has been a really great insight into supporting school-age students. Is there any sort of final thought that you've got for teachers or therapists working with school-age students who have never done this before, feeling a bit nervous? Look, I, I think I get the same advice as I gave last time, which is just really slow everything right down. Um, it is harder to hear someone over the computer audio or whatever you're using than in face-to-face. People can sometimes feel a bit of pressure working over technology that they wouldn't feel if you're in the classroom. And it can take a bit of time for the nerves to settle down and just to get that rhythm of the session. So maybe plan to not get through quite the amount that you might be used to getting through at first while you um, establish that new routine. And that's, that's permission to, to take the pressure off yourselves as well. Absolutely, as well, yeah. And, and make the most of those teachable moments and, and the time with the student. Tim, yeah. thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it again today. Thank you, Trudy. Appreciate the time. A big thank you to Tim for speaking with us today. If you have any questions regarding topics raised in this podcast, be sure to reach out via our Facebook page.